being at peace with one's sexuality is much more of a personal thing than it's a thing of marriage. Partnership gives us more opportunities to work with the fact of our sexuality and to develop it into a deeper expression of self. But it doesn't really make us okay with it and it doesn't make sex okay. I know that's a little countercultural for people who grew up in religious yeah. thinking. What we want is that our spouse makes my sexuality okay. And I would say what you do and create with your sexuality is what makes it okay or not okay. I think there's people that are married that are still deeply conflicted about their sexuality yeah. and people that are single that are much more at peace with it, even if they don't like being single, but yeah. they really are okay with it and they feel good about the fact of their sexuality. The people who transitioned in my dissertation research most comfortably into marriage already had come to peace with the fact of their sexuality and now marriage was about sharing that sexuality. Mm. People who struggled more were looking to marriage to make sex okay. Welcome to another episode of More Happy Life, the podcast that will teach you how to trigger upward spirals of health and happiness in your life. I'm Andy Proctor, a happiness activist whose goal is to make your life more happy with science-backed strategies and powerful interviews. If you enjoy this episode, share it and let me know by tapping the stars in the reviews. Welcome back to another episode of More Happy Life. This is your host, Andy Proctor. Thank you so much for listening once again. Today's guest is amazing. I am so excited to introduce you to Jennifer Finlayson Fife. She is an LDS relationship and sexuality coach, as well as a licensed clinical professional counselor in the state of Illinois. She has a PhD in counseling psychology. Her teaching and coaching focuses on helping LDS individuals and couples achieve greater satisfaction and passion in their emotional and sexual relationships. In addition to consultation with couples and individuals in person and online, she also teaches online relationships and sexuality courses designed to foster self and sexual development and create happier relationships and in individuals. Dr. Finlayson Fife also offers many live workshops and retreats for couples and individuals. I hope that you tune into today's uh, episode because Jennifer Finlayson Fife is an amazing uh, expert on this topic of sexuality and something that, that we don't necessarily talk about a ton, but that I think contributes greatly to our well-being and our happiness and our perception of well-being in our minds as well. And so uh, we talk about some really deep and good stuff on this um, and I just really hope that you uh, open your heart and your mind to this this episode with Dr. Finlayson Fife, uh, because we talk about some uh, topics from, you know, why is uh, sexuality such a taboo topic and should it be? Um, how can parents talk to their kids about sexuality and sex um, in a safe way, in a way that is more positive? Um, how can those who kind of originate from religions that are a little bit more conservative on their views of sexuality? Sexuality, uh, how can they kind of find a more positive view of their body and, and their sexuality themselves and accept their, their own sexuality as a good thing? Um, and also we talk about not only just uh, that uh, within those cultures, uh, how there's a big long list of don'ts, but also we talk about some of the list of some positive do's um, within sexuality. And um, 
you know, also some things with regards to uh, those who come from this uh, LDS or conservative background who are single, who are longing for uh, this part of themselves to be kind of uh, expressed and haven't felt that yet. Um, so tune into this one. This is a really, really good uh, episode and something that I've been wanting to talk about for quite some time on this podcast. So I really hope that you enjoy this episode and share it with those that you feel like would uh, benefit from this as well. So without further ado, Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. Okay, welcome to the podcast, Jennifer Finlayson Fife. Thank you so much for being here. It's an honor to be able to uh, share a little bit of time with you. My pleasure. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you as a guest on the More Happy Life podcast. On this podcast, we talk a lot about things that can really help our life to be more happy, a little bit more happy. And I think that uh, sex and sexuality in general isn't necessarily talked about as openly in a lot of circles and uh, Mm -hmm. especially how it relates to our overall well-being. So I'm excited Mm -hmm. to kind of dive into this a little bit with you, um, at least briefly. And um, maybe we can start uh, by um, just if you wanted to kind of share what uh, kind of what led you to, first of all, you know, go into studying about this topic um, mm-hmm. before we go anywhere else, kind of a little bit of your story. Sure. Well, I think, you know, from a young age, I knew that I wanted to work. I shouldn't say I knew, but I certainly felt yeah. drawn to uh, working with couples and wanting to help couples be happier. Yeah. And I'm not even entirely sure why that felt important to me because my mar- my parents didn't have a perfect marriage but it it wasn't a a marriage that was falling apart or something like that. So uh so I was yeah. drawn to that. And then you know as I was in my um my PhD program getting a degree in counseling I had to come up with a dissertation topic and I also was asked to teach an undergraduate human sexuality course. And so these, this was a Jesuit mm. school and I was having the students write essays and personal experiences. And there was a lot of um, conflict amongst these Catholic students and around their yeah. sexuality, especially among the girls, mm. uh, the women. And so I, it just made me start thinking about my own cultural experience, my own religious experience, my family experience. And I just was interested in better understanding um, women's experience within the LDS faith um, and their sense of agency or sort of ownership of their sexuality. So that it it kind of Mm. just brought together a lot of the things I had already been very interested in and gave me a kind of specific focus. And so I wrote that dissertation, but then it it became a very natural connection to the marital work that I was interested in and focused on in my training. And and so then it just became, you know, the work that I do now as a therapist and coach. Yeah. Wow. That's really, that's, that's an interesting story. And I think a really important uh, topic that I think a lot of people are kind of you know, afraid to talk about whether you're LDS or Catholic or, you know, um, any sort yes. of conservative, uh, cultural, culturally conservative background. That's um, right. 
And so, yeah, why, why do you think it is that sexuality is kind of viewed as such a taboo kind of topic, you know, do you th- and you, do you think it should mm-hmm. be? Well, I think it's taboo because it is so kind of core to our humanity and mm. so personal. And so I think there's something both natural and valuable about that fact. I mean, um, you know, like children feel a kind of intrinsic sense of shame, and I mean, kind of a healthy shame around their sexuality, a kind of privacy that emerges after, you know, age two, three, four, like as they start coming into uh, leaving toddlerhood, there's a kind of an inherent sense of privacy. Hmm. And I think there's something both protective about that and also kind of speaks to how sexuality is, is deeply linked to our kind of most core selves. Hmm. And so, you know, when we are very young children, uh, meaning when we're babies and early toddlers, we just get sort of loved and adored through our bodies without any question. You know, every roll of fat is adored and kissed and, you know, and yeah. there's like no, no inhibition <laughs> and, and anything you do is just awesome and amazing. And your parents swoon <laughs> and all that, right? Exactly. Those are the good times. Right? <laughs> but then as we start to get older, then there's more, you know, pressure to cover up and to mm. act polite and to be private. And then we hit puberty and we feel so awkward about our sense of self. You know, am I sufficient? Am I going to be wanted? Is there ever going to be a time where I'm sort of accepted unambivalently like when I was a young child? And it's sort of just an instinctive desire, but it's sort of mm. linked at the same time with a sense of our insufficiency or our strangeness. You know, you think about how your kind of early adolescent body is so awkward and so uncomfortable. And mm. so I think we carry, this is my long-winded answer. Yeah. I think this is very core to ourselves, but the ability to really accept ourselves and to receive someone through our sexuality and to love someone through our sexuality, it demands a kind of high level of development from us um, to be able to do this without to be able to be sexual and to be at peace with our bodies and sexuality, that it takes a kind of deep level of self-acceptance and a deep level of development that a lot of us don't achieve or even know how to achieve. And Mm. because that's true for a lot of us, we also get lots of messages of anxiety and fear and shame and kind of a fear that our sexuality will either expose us as being freaks and or take us to hell. And so there's a lot of uncertainty about it and we kind of infect each other with that anxiety. And so do I think it should be taboo? I would say no, um, because that doesn't help us. But I also can understand why it, it's private. I, mean, I can understand why it's high meaning information and high meaning behavior. And mm. so I have a respect for that at the same time. I like the way you said that high meaning, uh, because mm-hmm. yeah, it's not that it's bad. It's not that it's, you know, uh, shouldn't be talked about or taboo, but, um, but it's okay that it's private or it's okay mm-hmm. that it, it's, um, uh, right. I guess kept safe maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like exactly. Like kind of sheltered as something that not, yeah. not sheltered out of shame, but out of a kind of respect for it. 
Hmm. Yeah, I think it can it can be tricky trying to draw that line. And I think maybe yes. some people who um, you know, felt super restricted or shamed or whatever for their sexuality in their own perception, um, maybe, yes. you know, kind of swing the pendulum all the way to the other side. That's um, right. After, you know, having that experience. So but I like what you said about kind of um I I, I think in school we don't really you know, have classes on uh, one, uh, self-development, and then two, mm-hmm. um, you know, I mean, we, we maybe have that reproductive sexual education class um, yes. that your parents probably signed out of, um, <laughs> you know, if you're conservative uh-huh. in any way. Yes. Um, uh-huh. And But other than that, there's not like a right. real class that you go through that says, here's how you or here's, here's what that is. And right. Here's, here's how a way to think about, right. Exactly. Here's a way to think about sexuality from yeah. a psychosocial developmental perspective. No, nobody gets that. Yeah. And, how to think about mm-hmm. it. Right. Exactly. So we, and then of course yeah. there's always a message in the message, which is the fact that no one's talking about it or it kind of is its own message that it's, hmm. that nobody can kind of handle it or it's scary or, you know, yeah. there's something destructive or wrong about it. Right. Yeah, no, that's, that's, I think, pretty huge um, for, for a lot of people. And I, I wonder if you could um, talk to, you know, what maybe parents, because that maybe is where the class should exist. Um, uh, you know, what can parents, what can help parents in talking to their, you know, adolescent children or, or pre-adolescent, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, kids yeah. uh, who haven't left home yet about sexuality and sex? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I teach an online course called How to Talk to Your Kids About Sex. And it's oh, nice. definitely, okay, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, 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 Perfect. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I think it's better the, the earlier the conversation, how to say it, if you think of yourself as a mentor of sorts from an early age, you're going to be most able to help your children integrate their sexuality. And, you know, one of the objectives of the course I teach is about helping your children have sexual integrity. And what I mean by that is being able to integrate this part of themselves, their sexuality into their sense of self. And to be able to do that, really, you have to also integrate it with your values. You can't be in a self-destructive or other destructive relationship to sexuality and really be at peace within yourself. You can't do it. So so it's about helping your children really accept and be in alignment with them in themselves around their sexuality. And those that instruction happens from a very, very young age because even as a parent is interacting with their child, um, there is a kind of teaching of a celebration of the body or a fear of the body. Mm. Do, you know, is there, do you fear your child's sexuality or do you understand their sexual nature is, you know, is worthy and acceptable because you're at peace with your sexual nature? I mean, it's, it's in early development, of course, in a child. Mm. Um, it's not a mature sexuality, of course, but it's a sexuality that will emerge. And can you, and I think the number one answer to your question is you have to have worked out your own relationship to sexuality to be able to be the best kind of mentor for your child. And I don't mean to make that sound quite so overwhelming as it could sound, 
because yeah. any amount of work you do is going to help your child. Mm. And, you know, you know, even as my mom said to me, I'm sorry, I wasn't able to be a better help, you know, that, yeah. that almost, that almost gives permission to say, you know, I had my own conflicts and I'm grateful you've been able to sort it out at a deeper level. Yeah. You know, that's a kind of permission. But I think that, you know, the more you come to peace yourself, you can instinctively know how to not communicate an anxiety and fear to your children. Um, so, you know, in the course I teach, of course, I, I help parents think about what is needed at each developmental stage and kind of what their role is as parents um, in doing that. But I think one of the biggest things we fear as parents is that sexuality will corrupt our children um, or hurt them, like someone can hurt them through it or that they will hurt themselves through it. And I think when we think sexuality runs us, as many of us do think, or sexuality makes people untrustworthy rather than untrustworthy people do things with their sexuality. Mm. That is, you know, that the driver's seat is the person, not the sexuality. And that's a very important distinction to yeah. make. Mm -hmm. I think that's huge. And I think it can be hard to break that because, I mean, you think of uh, like memetics, like passing down of ideas and, you know, mm. for generations and generations of, of not talking about it, but it being mm. a belief, right? It's this yeah. kind of silent, unspoken, um, just kind of rule system. Uh, I think some of those mm -hmm. are the most powerfully passed down, you know, that's right. Ideas um, that we don't necessarily even question until, right. you know, something happens or something like that. And right. so um, I think this is really important for both uh, adults as well as uh, like whether you're a parent or just uh, single, you know, trying to understand your own sexuality. I think this is really important to just be able to be okay with taking a look at it, you know, yes. taking a step back and just observing um, yes. without judgment. Exactly. So. Yeah. And I think you're absolutely right that I think sometimes the most powerful ideas are the ones that are implicit because it's mm. harder to get a hold of them when they are so implicit. You almost can't see them because they're just in the air that you breathe. Yeah. And yeah. And I think that out of our own anxiety and fear, we often unwittingly hand down the idea to our children that they should be afraid of sexuality, that sexuality will come and get them. And, mm. and then unwittingly, we, we, we kind of tie our kids' hands behind their back around their sexuality. Like we, we interfere with their ability to really direct their lives and integrate this in a way that blesses their life. Mm. We almost set them up to feel powerless relative to it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, those idea systems, whether, whether they come from, you know, our culture or religion or, or whatever our background is, you know, they kind of can taint that or, or at least put a lens around that view of sexuality. Um, yes. And I think in those kind of, like in many religions, this cultural view of sexuality is often seen as something to avoid as, as mm -hmm. a sin or, like you said, corruption, right? Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I think this can maybe create a belief that that sexuality, not not maybe specific acts or whatever, but like sexuality altogether, is like sinful or bad. Um, and mm -hmm. it's hard because you know, <laughs> uh, 
everyone has sexuality, you know, everyone who's human. And, uh, and so how do you, you know, uh, I guess right. maybe why, why do you think that this happens? And then what do you think can be done maybe to keep our view of our own? I mean, you've been kind of talking about this, but how do we keep our view of our own, our own bodies, you know, sexuality to be positive? Like yeah, a celebration, well, like you said, yeah. celebrate the body versus fear the body. That's right. Well, I think that, first of all, I think one way to, well, I, I think there's a certain amount of development in just accepting the human condition. I mean, just mm. to be at peace with the fact of sexuality yeah, and the fact of embodiment and the fact of imperfection and, yeah. you know, the fact of attraction and love and desire. How to say it? These are things that can make us feel vulnerable. A beginning step in all this is just being able to accept what it is to be human, which mm. is in and of itself a challenging thing because so many parts of being human make us feel vulnerable and uncertain. So, mm. so it, it's easy to want to try and control it or reject it or pretend it doesn't matter to you, but there's these aspects of being human such as our, our embodiment is a given. Our sexuality is a given. You know, we're sexual from birth. Yeah. Whether or not we want to acknowledge that, it is in fact true. You know, the fact of love and desire, they're, they're inherent to the human experience, but they're scary. They're uncertain. We don't have as much control in a sense as we might want when we feel desire for someone else. What I mean is it makes us feel exposed. It makes us feel vulnerable mm -hmm. to want another person, to desire another person. And so just coming to terms with the fact of this part of human experience is in and of itself a meaningful step forward in our development to kind of tolerate the imperfection of life the inherent vulnerability of it because the more that we can sort of accept that this is normal rather than i'm deeply flawed or strange for the fact of my sexuality or i should be afraid of this it, it actually allows us more than to be in a position of what do i want to create or become or do in the face of my human condition Hmm. Who do I want to be in the face of my sexual nature? How do I want to be in relationship to my sexuality and to others around my sexuality? And, hmm. you know, I think when you see yourself as um, the one in the driver's seat, even though that's not to say that you have perfect control, but you are the actor, you have agency, you can decide how you're going, are you going to be rejecting and hateful of yourself and your sexual feelings? Or are you going to be accepting of the fact of them and then, you know, make decisions about what's going to create goodness in your life and bless your life and be respectful of others, right? So mm -hmm. it's what I think is, you know, a lot of times people will come in to my office and say, you know, I have a porn addiction or a sex addiction and they talk about the fact of their problematic sexual behavior in a way that's kind of like the sexuality is running me. I'm mm. a small force in this bigger force of my sexuality and I'm a victim of it. And I'm sure that it feels that way. I, I'm sure that they do feel a sense of being out of control 
but the the thing that I find the most helpful for people is helping them to get back into a sense of being a chooser and that mm. the choices have implications for their life and that and to understand why they're choosing as they're choosing because often they're trying to solve something however ineffectually they're trying to solve a pain or a fear or a feeling through behaviors that are out of alignment with what they can respect or feel good about or create strength in them or in their relationships and helping them really see those choices frees them up to be a better chooser or to be able mm -hmm. to choose in a way that creates more peace in their life. And so th that's when, you know, when you can see that you have efficacy, that you can kind of shape your own life and your own choices, then your sense of self-respect goes up, but also your fear of your desires and your feelings and your passions goes down because you can tolerate their existence and then still choose in the face of them. I think that's really powerful, and I think I think there's a lot of um, uh, may, maybe backwards thinking about this this concept of sexual addiction or porn addiction um, in mm -hmm. in what you're just talking about is maybe not as much about that it's controlling me or running me, like mm -hmm. you said, as the victim, um, mm -hmm. but maybe you know realizing I I ch I choose this, you know, yes, and what do I what do I want to choose? Now that yes. I realize that I'm the chooser, um, is there another way to to choose it? I've often um, kind of theorized uh, from the standpoint of positive psychology, the whole perma uh, theory of positive psychology of if people can just, <laughs> uh, and specifically people who uh, struggle with, you know, uh, an unwanted, like you said, an unwanted behavior, mm -hmm. sexual behavior, um, you know what is missing maybe what what from their well-being that are they yes. lacking you know yes. that they need to fill exactly. in exactly so exactly yeah, thank you for exactly. that's really really powerful i uh for so many people i think who maybe are just keeping a secret or hiding or afraid to even that's right talk about it um that's so right. Yeah. Uh, so I want to uh, just in the next, uh, the last little portion here, talk a little bit more about um, <laughs> uh, there's, I think there's a long list of kind of don'ts, right? Um, mm. uh, with regards to sexuality and um, maybe from the standpoint of what we've been talking about, uh, you can kind of add to this, this uh, thought pathway here of, um, you know, positive sexuality and what would be kind of a safe list or a few on this list of kind of really healthy do's, right? For, for positive sexuality. Okay. Let me think about that. I mean, this may sound like a big leap for some of us, yeah. but, but I think it's just being grateful for the fact of sexuality. Mm -hmm. Um, and embodiment and sensuality. Mm. Um, now, I understand, I don't know if this is the starting point for people, but it certainly is an end point, um, a part of the end point, which is that, you know, it's hard to feel grateful for anything that you feel controls you. Okay, so you're not going to feel grateful if you think your sexuality <laughs> controls you, or if yeah. you think your body 
impairs your happiness with yourself, you're going to have a hard mm. time appreciating your embodiment or your body. But yes. I think, you know, if you can see it as, you know, this body of mine gives me a way to do and act in the world and create in the world. Mm. And it may be flawed. It may not have the aesthetic that I wish it had. But, you know, I can be grateful for the fact of my embodiment. I can be grateful for the fact that I can receive and give love through my embodiment, even just in the form of affection, touch, hugs, you know, Mm. any kind of communication of you matter. So much of that happens through the body. And to be grateful for that, the beauty of that, the, you know, it's easy to run our lives through perfectionism and resentment for the ways that we're not perfect, which is just a setup for misery as opposed to accepting the deep imperfection of life and being grateful for the, for the graces within it, for the beauty within it. And, you know, so, mm-hmm. so an extension of that, of, of that I can receive love through affection and through touch is that one can give and receive love through the language of sexuality in and to be able to um, come to a place of enough peace with oneself and a spouse to be able to give and receive through your full embodiment, I think is is probably one of the deepest and most spiritual forms, uh, I mean spiritual in sort of a broad sense, of being able to love and be loved. Because it's, you know, a, a kind of profound acceptance of, of one's flawed self that's both being offered and received. So yeah. I don't know if that's exactly what you're looking for, but I no, think, and I don't know yeah. if those are starting places, but I like there's those. certainly, yeah, yeah, there's certainly, it's a, it's a way we can be in relationship or at least strive to be in relationship to the fact of our sexuality is creating goodness through our embodiment and our sexual natures. I really like it. I think it's more of an approach than an avoidance um, goal. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I was trying to yeah. kind of come to is like, what, what, what way can we approach it, you know, from a positive way instead of you know, yeah. having it constantly be this avoidance. I mean, I, uh, you know, personally grew up in a culture, uh, the LDS culture where, you know, for, for, uh, for us, it's, it's kind of, you just, it's all about don'ts, you know, and, um, Mm -hmm. and any, anything ever happening before you're married or whatever, you know, is, uh, is just this, this horrible event. Um, and, and you, you really start to kind of in your brain correlate that with almost evil or Satan or, you know, kind of sinful sense. And, and then you start to almost put that onto yourself as if you were evil. And I think for people who are struggling with that, I think, um, you know, lots of (laughs) self-compassion and, um, anyways. And the limited nature of those messages, they're fear-based messages. They're coming from parents and teachers who are also afraid, you know, of their sexuality or your emerging sexuality. So they're not giving you a way, they're implicitly giving you uh, the difficulty of being able to integrate it and be ever be at peace. And so a lot of times, you know, even upon getting married where it's legitimate, yeah. there is no way of approaching as to use your language, 
that this really can be seen as a source of goodness, a source of strength in my life. And so that's definitely what we need. Yeah. And so I have a, a, maybe a trickier question. I don't know if this is a more difficult one, but I, for those, those who are listening, who are kind of from that, you know, uh, conservative culture upbringing and, Mm -hmm. and they, they, they're single, you know, and they've, they've been single Mm -hmm. maybe their whole life. And um, they maybe they hope for, you know, that, that time where they can have that, you know, relationship or experience that Mm -hmm. kind of joined sexuality in marriage, but, you know, maybe it won't ever come. Um, Mm -hmm. How can maybe those people have and find that peace um, and that the beauty of their own sexuality, um, Mm -hmm. you know, in that type of situation? Well, I think, so how to say it? I think that we all married and unmarried long for a kind of sexual communion that, you know, that kind of this, I wouldn't say that I know that every single person out there longs for that, but, but that is to say, I do think that that is kind of the quintessential form of kind of profound love of being loved and loving. Mm. And so there is a kind of instinctive longing in us for that, I think. And very few people are able to create it or have it. And so that is because even if they're married, they're partnered with someone who is not at peace with his or her sexuality, <laughs> yeah. or we ourselves are not at peace with our sexuality enough to be able, we, we may want our spouse to validate our sexual nature. We want them to make us feel okay about it through their desire, but we haven't yet been able to create that. Um, so I guess why I'm saying that is I think there is a kind of misconception often among single people that all the married people are having this amazing uh, <laughs> experiences right. of sexual communion. Yeah. <laughs> and right. they're not, you know, and they're not. And, and so that, that, that's not to be dismissive yeah. of the longing or the desire but I think it's sort of recognizing that being at peace with one's sexuality is much more of a personal thing than it's a thing of marriage. Mm. Now, marriage may give us more opportunity to develop our sexuality. You know, partnership gives us more opportunities to maybe work with the fact of our sexuality and to develop it into a deeper expression of self. But it doesn't really make us okay with it and it doesn't make sex okay. I mean, I know that's a little countercultural for people who grew up in religious sure. uh, yeah. thinking. What we want is that our spouse makes my sexuality okay. And I would say what you do and create with your sexuality is what makes it okay or not okay. Hmm. And you can do a lot of damage in marriage through your sexuality, through either not developing it or being indulgent with it. And hmm. so I think it's the same question for single people, and, I, and again, I'm not being dismissive of the aloneness on it and the, um, of, the, of the longing of wanting to be able to love and be loved through the body um, yeah. that a single person doesn't get to experience um, in the same way. But I think that it's coming to peace with the fact of our embodiment and our sexual nature and not seeing it as a liability 
or something we must sort of reject or can't be kind of an acceptable part of being human until we're married, but more that it is a fact of living, that my sexuality is, my embodiment mm. is, and how do I create good in the state of relationship that I'm in currently? How do I make this a good part of my life? Uh, how can mm. I be more appreciative of my body and sensuality, even if I am for a time in a more alone state with it? So I know that sounds very conceptual and, and maybe not as concrete as people want, but I think there's people that are married that are still deeply conflicted about their sexuality yeah. and people that are single that are much more at peace with it, even if they don't like being single, but yeah. they really are okay with it and they really are at peace with it and they feel good about the fact of their sexuality. Mm. So it, I think it's a part of accepting ourselves. And the people who transitioned in my dissertation research most comfortably into marriage already had come to peace with the fact of their sexuality and now marriage was about sharing that sexuality the mm. people who struggled more were looking to marriage to make sex okay because marriage can't really make it okay in that sort of in a self-acceptance way i love that i think that's really right on and i think a lot of those questions are are helpful um for for that uh population um, mm -hmm. to ask themselves. Um, because I mean, I have so many friends who are just amazing people, you know, and they, they, when it comes down to it, this, this is one of those things that they just wonder about. So thank you yeah. for, for going there. I really appreciate sure. that. And just to say this, I, I did a presentation in New York city, maybe five years ago hmm. at a singles, uh, singles conference for LDS singles. And I, I did a long piece called, um, singles and sexuality and so if you google that <laughs> or if you get Great. on my website on my Yo. blog page and you put that in you could find it there but those you know people coming out of conservative faiths that are single might find that to be a helpful read I love that. That's great. I'll definitely uh, see if I can link to that in the show notes. So great. Um, perfect. You know, so uh, to kind of wrap up here, uh, kind of tying this back to this like positive uh, life and more happy life. Um, how do you think sexuality is, and, and I know you've kind of touched a lot on this uh, throughout uh, our conversation, but how do you think it's linked to our happiness and life satisfaction as humans? And maybe how can we improve that? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, mean, I think, you know, just going back to the sort of some of those initial ideas, which is like the, the language of the body is our, is our mother tongue. It's mm -hmm. our first language, you know, that a baby is given a sense of being loved through her or his body. Mm -hmm. and, and so even though as we emerge into adolescence and adulthood, we're we're in more of a sense of isolation. I think that we all really do want to be loved all the way through. Hmm. And we all long for that. And sometimes then, as you know, we've been talking about want to make someone else responsible for the, this idea of how acceptable we are rather than living our lives in a way that we ourselves are clear about our 
acceptableness. That's not a good word. No, yeah. <laughs> but our, our basic sense of almost ba- like worthiness. Basic and, yeah. Worthiness, yeah, yeah, if that's mm-hmm. the right one. And so I think that um, when we are doing and creating good and can be okay with the fact of our sexuality, we're much more poised to be able to love and be loved through our embodiment, which I think is really. When, when there's research on, on people that are happily married and talk about sort of passionate and meaningful sexuality, I mean, people will talk about it in terms of a state of transcendence, a state of spiritual communion. It's like kind of the highest form, I think, of loving and being loved because it's so um, complete. Mm. And so I think that it's aspirational for most of us i think those who've come out of sexual trauma that sexuality is so linked to exploitation and harm coupled with the fact that they may have experienced other love relationships that were exploitative in some form or another that that this can feel like too lofty or that the meaning has been so corrupted by the trauma that it's hard to imagine it but I still think that it's worth us pushing ourselves towards because it's not that sexuality corrupts people. It's that people corrupt sexuality. Hmm. And so we, what we do with it is much more malleable that the meaning of it is expressed through what we're doing through the fact of our sexuality. I love that. I think that's a powerful way to look at it. And, you know, I think of happiness and studying positive psychology They, they, you know, so many studies talk about how the number one predictor of health and, and happiness is our positive relationships. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people look at relationships, at least from an idyllic uh, standpoint, or maybe mm-hmm. at least when you're single <laughs> mm-hmm. and think, you know, within the relationship that like you said that kind of pinnacle of the relationship and bonding is Mm -hmm. that you know sexuality or or that bonded sexuality i guess yeah and so i think this is such a a a beautiful topic um Mm -hmm. to really approach and uh do so without judgment and mindfully and in a way that um, like you mentioned earlier, we can see ourselves as the choosers and mm-hmm. as having agency and what do we want to create with it. So thank you. Yes. I really You're appreciate welcome. your thoughts and, and your time with me. And where can people uh, uh, follow your work? And, and, and you, you mentioned courses and things. How can they sure. learn more? Sure. So probably the easiest way to to see what I offer is to go to my website, which is just my name, finlayson-fife.com. And on there, you can access my podcast archive. So um, podcasts that I've done on myriad subjects, you know, ranging from relationships to infidelity, to sexuality, to spirituality. So all those topics I talk about a lot. Um, I also have a blog page, which is uh, more minimal, but that's there. And then I do online courses, um, both a couples relationship course and couples sexuality course, as well as a uh, women's sexuality course and a men's sexuality course that I will um, be releasing this fall. And then a how to talk to your kids about sex course. So, so all that's there. And um, yeah, 
Excellent. These sound like great resources and I can actually vouch for uh, uh, definitely we've taken some of those and are super helpful and really um, help to kind of demystify it and make it a little bit more approachable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. um, from the standpoint of testimonial, thank you for that. And yeah. um, so thanks for your time. And I really appreciate uh, you being with me on the show today. My pleasure. I really hope this episode helped you to have a more happy life today. If you enjoy this episode, share it and let me know by tapping the stars in the reviews. You can also find me on Instagram at morehappylife or by going to morehappylife.co. Thanks for listening and see you soon.